0: Hey, everyone. I'm sorry. Okay, perfect. I am so sorry about um, all the rules now. we got Zoom-bombed last Sunday and then Zoom-bombed on Monday. <laughs> and so um, thankfully, the really bad stuff happened before people logged in. Matthew wasn't spared, I'm sorry. Um, so that's the reason for it. Um, I'm going to look around and see if there are um, other ways of um, of managing it. I think there's a, another mode... Um, that might just take care of it. So I'll, ta- I'll, I'll look into it, but I'm sorry about that. Um, can I be a diva? Because I, I, I hate camera, first of all. <laughs> I really, really hate it. Um, those of you who are willing, some of you already have. Thank you, Monica, Mary, Justina. Um, if you're willing to turn on your camera, it would be great because it makes me feel less like I am talking to myself. Okay, no way. I haven't seen Athanasis happen forever um
1: On or off?
0: On would be great because then I don't feel like I'm I'm talking to myself.
1: What? Camera on. Or...
0: <clears throat> Thank you guys. Okay, I don't see Abuna yet, so I think we might get started because um, he's probably doing important stuff. Um. All right, let's 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 pray uh, before we start. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We ask, O Lord, to enlighten the eyes of our mind and our hearts and be worthy to hear and to understand the words of your, of your Holy Bible, to intercessions and praise of the, the Holy St. Mary, the great St. Anthony, St. Paul the Apostle, St. Pope Ramino, When we pray with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our deadly bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, today's will actually be shorter, so you can be very happy. Um, in the sense of the content, um, I can spend more time on questions if you guys have um, on it. Um, but... Um, I didn't want to get into chapter 8 because chapter 8 is extremely heavy. Um, it might even be done over over two weeks maybe. I hope not. Um, but before we read chapter 7, I want to re-go over some of the stuff as I was asked to. But also, I kind of want to revisit some of the analogies that we gave um, when we were doing these um, in the church at St. Mark and St. Mary of Egypt um, that some of you guys might not have been there for. That might help um make a little bit more um sense out of um the chapter uh, out of the whole book really so um the context of this right is that just to just to revisit and i won't i don't want to spend forever on it but the context of all of this um has been that saint paul um was planning to go to rome right so he wanted to go to rome Because he needed like a base to operate out of for when he wanted to go more west. Um, So when he was going on his first Euro trip, Antioch served as his prime base there. But now that he is moving way further out, he needed another place that he could come back to that's helping take care of things. It's basically like a diocese headquarters. He needs one. Um, So part of it was that. Um, the other part of it was that the Romans were a very bizarre church in the sense that most of the churches in, in, in Europe and Asia Minor, they had started off um, with Jews that converted others, right? And so they'd have fights with like Gentile converts, but um, Rome was different in that it originally was this amalgamation of, of Gentile and Jew, But one of the emperors, Claudius, had actually kicked out all of the Jews from Rome. So when he kicked them out, what was left in the church um, were Gentiles, like Gentile converts, right? And so for five or six years, they were the ones running the church. So at the point of Paul writing this letter, the Jews had been allowed back to Rome, right? And two of the famous people that were in that church that had moved out, and you see them in other epistles, were Priscilla and Aquila right so um, they they actually had met Paul in other countries um, during that whole issue so what ended up happening is that because the Gentiles had taken over and they were gone there was a little bit of this like sense of um we don't need you we're better than you so usually there's an elitism of the Jews towards Gentiles um, because the Jews felt like they were the upper hand because they were the original people of God. But Rome had this weird situation of Gentiles feeling superior to Jews as well. um, And, and kind of shaming the the Jews. So the context then of of what's going on is that St. Paul is writing that and he wants to say, okay, simmer down. There's also Jews that have been attacking him persistently about saying you don't need the law anymore, right? And 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 they've been very loud in their campaign against St. Paul. They follow him. They, they, they literally crash. They Zoom bomb his meetings. Um, they go ahead of him. Um, they go after him. They're doing everything that they can to make sure that, um, that he's silenced, right? So he's also writing against those. So the analogy that we're using in the first one, Um, so is that St. Paul saying, okay. And I'm making up this analogy for him. Okay. Is that there's this original company and, and I hate companies, but we're going with it because it works. And we have, um, a cafeteria. Okay. And so we have all these staff, all these staff belong to the company. There's no favoritism. There's no one person over another. It's just people. There's no, like code of conduct, there's no statement of, of behaviors and, 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 and some kind of constitution for how people behave in their company. Everybody just does it and everybody just gets it because it's understood how to be civil, okay? There were no rules. So as things progress, um, people start behaving wrongly. They don't, they don't really live according to the standard of the, of, of the ethics that are just supposed to be known. Right. So that's like I was using the cafeteria just because it works. OK, so people go to the cafeteria and there's a limited amount of food. Again, bear with me. As St. Paul says, I'm speaking as a human. It's it's a very limited uh, like analogy. And people um, are taking more than they should. And so there's not enough food for everyone. And selfishness abounds. And people are stuffing their faces and other people are getting none. And then other people are yelling and screaming. Right. There's there's all of this stuff going on and so the company does different things to try and get it done it doesn't work so eventually they introduce this card okay and the card is like this agreement card that um, this is the code of conduct and if you have this card you abide by these rules and you get these privileges okay so again poor analogy but we're going to call it that card is the analogy of the jews that was circumcision right and the code of conduct was the law and that over time, the law started to develop its own thing. Okay. So then there started to be like, Oh, and if you flash this card, you get 10% off at of Aldo. If you do this, you do like, there's all these things that come with the card, Right. So there's stuff that were man-made from the card later on. Um, but that they have all of this stuff that's going on for them. And so um, there are people who didn't have that car. Those are the Gentiles. Okay. So St. Paul is is writing to people where now Jew and Gentile both have become Christians, but they're both beating each other up. Right. And so St. Paul comes in in chapter one and says, Gentiles, you suck. Okay. Because yeah, you are part of God's people, but you were part of the problem. You didn't, you guys were part of the bad behavior and you refused to take this card. But on top of it, um, you guys, when you weren't using the card, you guys started doing really messed up things like, and he lists a whole bunch of things that they did, like idolatry, paganism, etc. Um, and so then in his mind, he's talking to an imaginary Jew who's like, yeah, 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 go get him, Paul. Right. And so he like turns around and faces them and says, no, no, no. Um, you're not better, Mr. Cardholder. In fact, you're worse. You're worse because you had a code of conduct and you didn't even follow it. So even though you flashed the card, you were still picking out in line. You were still being selfish. You were still breaking the rules. So just because you have this deal with um, the boss, you didn't behave any better for it. So you suck and you suck is basically what he's saying. And he's saying Christianity is now not an issue of cardholder or non-cardholder. Right? He's coming and saying there's no longer Jew or Gentile because even though you are horrible and you are horrible, the Lord Jesus is really good. (laughs) And so we are all now made okay with the boss, through our Lord, okay? So some people um, fell out of covenant with God through their idolatry and, 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 and idol worship. That's the same thing. That is the, the, the Gentiles. And then there are people who broke the covenant, and those are the Jews. Because he said to the Jews, you broke the covenant. So you're not actually in a better place. And so then he's now looking at these people and saying, all right, some of you, are, some of you Jews are now going to say, well, that's crazy talk. You're cray-cray. How can you be saying that? Because the law is everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so St. Paul comes and says, I'll show you. Here's Abraham. Abraham, his faith was counted for him as righteousness. That's what the Bible says, right? And he was, it was counted for his righteousness before there was a law. And before there was a membership part, before there was circumcision. And so if Abraham was reconciled to God, because the world was against God at the time of Abraham, if he was reconciled to God without having the law and without having already been circumcised, then I am not crazy as a Jew to tell you Jews that it is possible for somebody to be made right with God without the law and without circumcision. Okay. That's the point of chapter four. So chapter five says, okay, we've all been made right in Christ through Jesus, through the Lord Jesus. How through the cross and resurrection. Right. And we went through all of that stuff and that more specifically the cross showed how God was faithful to the covenant in spite of our collective unfaithfulness to the covenant, all of us, right? Whether Jew or Gentile. And so he's trying to show that God's righteousness um, is, unlike, is unlike any other because he's actually faithful, right? That God is actually faithful to us. Um, we are justified by God. We are made right with God by him. And I'm not going to re-go into the word the kiosini but it would be important for those of you who joined us only on Zoom to maybe go back and listen to uh, lecture Romans 1 because it was heavy and I'm not going to do it again. Um, (laughs) No problem, Mary, I see you. Um, So (laughs) we're not going to revisit that. Mm -hmm. So Romans 6, um, um, which was last week, was that we participate in this new covenant. We are made right with God when we are faithful back to this new covenant through the mm-hmm. Lord of Christ. And that, that is found um, through our baptism um, and Eucharist. That's how we um partake in the new covenant. Sorry, I'm just seeing, I'm making sure not a zoom bomb because I heard someone's noise. I think we're good. Um sorry, I get really paranoid now after what happened. Okay, so that's that was what we're at. Last week, so he was talking about that. How do I become a member in this? I must die and rise with Christ. Okay, that that's the only way to become a participant in the covenant of grace. What is grace? Is that I am now um, I'm no longer um, subject to mortality. I'm no longer um, subject to the law. Um, I'm no longer subject to corruption. That's what the air of grace is that St. Paul is saying. So that's a summary of one through six um, to then find where we're at now. Um, And this week's will not be as philosophical. Um, This week, St. Paul gets personal, so we get to get personal, um, where he he almost dumbs it down before he goes and beats everybody again. Um, So... Let's go back to the analogy about doctors because um, it's going to work a lot today that we used last week. I'll come back to it. So we said that there's such thing as objective health, okay? And that that objective health is analogous to what we want to call holiness, okay? And we said that there are guidelines and rules, Um Under healthcare, Um, sorry, let me make Abuna's in here. So let me make Abuna co-host before I forget. Okay. Um, So we said that there's guidelines like doctors and, and pharmacists, nurses, there's protocols, there's guidelines, right? Of saying first do this to the patient, then do this, triage this if this then that etc etc that is analogous to the law okay of the old testament now the law sometimes has intrinsic value for those who hate that expression that i use and sometimes not okay so for example if we put out a law saying don't eat raw food or bats just saying um it could seem like (laughs) a random law (laughs) I'm sorry. That was a bad comment. Um, But Allah is always there from the Old Testament to point at health. Okay? So the guidelines are not what make health. Okay? It's not because there was a rule about something that made health health. Okay? The, the, The rule points at it. Okay? Rules... The, the, the guidelines point us at health, okay? So if we say don't drink dirty water, that's pointing at the existence of microbes, that's pointing at the existence of health, of how it's affected. But the rule about it is not itself like holy, right? The rule itself isn't itself health. It's just teaching something okay that's going to be a really really important concept for this chapter um so if we go back to that first analogy about the the card okay um what's going on is that there's good behavior there's such thing as good behavior but people misbehaved okay so when they got the card rules came out so rules came out like okay stand in line for your food don't rush um, take one piece at a time until everybody's had one piece, right? These are like I'm making up the rules like to fit the analogy. okay? So that's the kind of kind of rule um, that came out. Um, and they're meant to teach you generosity, thoughtfulness, et cetera, right? That's what those things are are teaching. Um, so last week Saint. Paul answered the questions of, should we sin? to show how good God is or to show how good health is. And he answered the question of, can we sin? Okay. Are we, are we allowed now? Is it okay to do it? Because if we're getting rid of the guidelines, is it okay to do whatever I want? He answered those two questions. But now he's addressing the next question that arises from his preaching. Now the people are looking at him, whether Jew or Gentile, right? Now they're looking, looking at St. Paul and they're saying, okay, you're saying um, somehow because of Jesus, right, because of the Lord Jesus, I don't have to follow the law anymore. You're saying I shouldn't sin and that I can't sin. Okay, we'll go with that. Let's accept that I get your concept of how you're saying that we're saved in the Lord and on all of that. And let's practice good me- good medicine without the two point whatever billion rules that you had for us before about how we get to be healthy, okay? No problem. If you're saying though, that the guidelines are not needed anymore because of Christ, then were the guidelines a bad idea, right? That's, that's a rational question, right? I'm saying then, then if, you, if you eventually wanted to get rid of the guidelines, then why did you have the guidelines? What's the point of having the guidelines? Maybe these guidelines were a really bad idea. Maybe they were just dumb. Um, Like, what was the point in you giving a phase of it if you were going to get rid of it? Right? That's, That's the question from both. They're asking another question. St. Paul, you keep saying that we're freed from the law. If we're freed from the law, does that mean the law was bad? Why do I need liberation from it? if it was bad, right? Um, in short, was the law a mistake, okay? And and, and that, I, I, in my view, that's a very rational um, kind of question. And St. Paul is, is seeing it in advance of saying, okay, I know you're going to ask me this, so we're going to go there. So Romans 7, 7 through 25, which is what we're about to read, um, is one of the most important chapters okay there's a lot of controversy here. i think actually 7 through 25 i think is the reason for um the western controversies about um justification and grace because saint paul here comes and starts talking on a personal level but he's not really doing it to say i'm in this conundrum He's now shifting the way of speaking to defend it. Um, both Luger, Luther, not Luger, both Luther um, and Blessed Augustine, um, they treat this text very personally. But if you look at Saint Cyril of Alexandria or St. John Chrysostom, for example, um, or Origin of Alexandria, they don't. They are looking this through the lens of the whole economy. Um, And if you take it on a personal level, it raises a whole bunch of other questions that it doesn't seem like Paul's actually trying to answer, because if he was taking it so personally, he wouldn't keep talking about the Old Testament, but he does, right before it and right after it, um, and in it. So if it was meant to be only personal, I think that that would be phrased completely differently. But what we can agree on, all of the traditions seem to be agreeing on, okay, in this section that follows is that St. Paul is going to say that the law is good. Okay, that the law is good and the law is holy. Contrary to what a lot of people like to say about the law. Um, St. Paul is going to talk about sin as a force or power that uses the law, and we'll discuss that, to enslave people. Sounds bizarre, but he'll talk about it. Um, Third is that he uses the personal now to talk about the frustration that it produces that I think we're all going to be able to relate to. Um, And he's going to use the personal to try and get to the solution to the dilemma. Um, And the solution is going to be his completion of what he's been doing so far is to get Trinitarian. So far, he's talked about the Father and the Son. His solution that's going to come in Romans 8 is going to be the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, Of the means of grace, of how does this whole thing get fixed. Okay. So without further ado, um let us um uh read uh seven seven through twenty-five before we um uh, discuss it a little bit and again this week I think will be a little bit lighter um so I don't get stoned. Um all right in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit one God Amen. Um, for those of you who have been wondering what translation I'm using, um, I'm using the, um, the second RSV Catholic edition. Um, it, it's my preferred one. That's a personal thing. Um, but that's the one that I'm using. Okay. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Absolutely not. By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I should not have known sin. I should not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The very commandment which promised life proved to be death to me for sin finding opportunity opportunity in in old links meaning like a place to work from okay the the circumstances or the grounds to to work from in the commandment deceived me and by it killed me so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good sounds contradictory did that which is good then bring death to me By no means, absolutely not. It was sin, working death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want... I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want. It is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. I'm sorry. He's a philosopher and I love it. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. (laughs) So then I, of myself, serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So, heavy language, but actually um, the concepts behind this one are actually very simple. So, um, So we'll go through it. Um, and then open it up to, um, to uh, questions. Okay. All right. Um, what then shall we say that the law is sin? So this is his question. of saying, okay, was the law a mistake, right? Was the law bad? Um, he's saying, of course not, right? Because if he were to say that, they, they crucify him, right? Because God gave the law. So on, on what, ban- like, if you're going to say Moses made it up or that God didn't know what he was talking about, then now we have a problem. Um, he's like, no, the law is good because if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't even know what sin is. We're going to get more into that. Um, He's like, for example, I wouldn't have known not to covet if the law didn't say don't covet. Okay. He's saying, but sin found in the the law, it's breeding ground. It's almost like, okay, for bacteria to grow, it needs a surface. Okay. And so St. Paul is saying that sin found its surface to grow on through the law. And that sounds really messed up too, right? But he's saying two things. He's trying to teach in this first section how um, sin and the law are connected, okay? So in those two verses, he's making two statements. He's saying, number one is the law makes me know about sin. And that in and of itself might make me do it. That's why he's saying that the law causes sin. I'm going to give you an analogy in a second, okay? But what he's saying is that um, in finding out that I'm not supposed to do something, I become aware of the idea that I could do that thing, right? So if I put up a sign that says, don't pick the flowers. I I might not have been planning to pick the flowers, but you put a sign that said, don't pick the flowers. Now it's like, I think I might pick the flowers, right? And so he's saying that, that by virtue of there being a commandment, it gave room to sin because now I knew, right? So he's saying that doesn't make the law bad. Okay, that's why in the second half, he's going to point it at the human and saying, because there's something going on in the human that's going on. It's not because the rule about saying, don't pick the flowers was wrong. It's that I became aware of it. So on the one hand, the law made it possible for me to do wrong by finding out about it. And on the other hand, the law points out that what I was already doing might be wrong. OK, and so maybe I was already picking the flowers. And when this sign went up saying don't pick the flowers, I didn't know that I was doing something wrong until I saw the sign. OK, so those are the two things he said in those first two verses. Right. It either makes me know it in a way that I might do it or makes me know it in a way that I find out that I was mistaken. Um, that's that's those two um and 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 origin he's my favorite i'm sorry you you've got to read origin and Cyril of Alexandria. they're the best exegetes um but um uh, origin actually goes through some of the biblical stories to show that um like the both of those points that it makes us aware of it um and that it makes us aware um it makes us think about it and he even he reflects a lot he even steps back and goes we're so weird as a people that once someone says don't do it we're like we're like we're going to do it um like that's just our 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 thing verse 9 i was once alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin revived and i died the very commandment which promised life proved to be death for me for sin finding opportunity like we said finding its culture and ground in the commandment deceived me And by it killed me. So he's saying, okay, sin found, bacteria found its life on this um, Petri dish. Okay. The Petri dish is the law. Okay. And it took over. All right. And and that in and of itself was by human decision. That's what he's saying there. So verse 12, sorry. The law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. Now, St. Paul has moved now. He's making the shift from speaking about others and speaking generally. And now he's going to bring it home and he's going to start speaking personally. So just to recap before I move forward, before he gets really wordy. Okay. He's saying the law isn't bad. Okay. How else was I supposed to know? Okay. But the law also messed me up because of the rules. Um, And I think so many of us feel like that a lot, right? Like uh, if there just weren't so many rules, right? Don't date, don't drink, don't eat, don't do this on Wednesday, don't do this on Friday, enter the altar like this, um, do your prostration like this. When you speak to uncle use this tone and you speak to Ton to use this tone when you speak to father you must do this first and if you didn't you're disrespectful now turn around backwards take three steps bow right we have all of these etiquette and rules and formalities right and then you're like man i just want to go to the prom and you're like you can't go to the prom because you go to the prom there's this and 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 this. like okay well what if i were and then we all start doing the law that's why like confessions <laughs> become manipulations of the law of being like but what if I didn't say that and I did it within this framework and I modified this and we start looking at how I can it's how people use the law in in real life right of how can I bend it and say okay this was still constitutional right until we come up with a new law to annul the old laws that we can yell and scream at people so the law messed me up right because of all of the rules when you're told you can have only one piece of meat, to use that first analogy, you want more, right? When you're told you can't do this thing or that thing, you end up wanting it. Um, but the st- because the statement of law moved things to be about the law rather than about the goal, right? And so the guidelines for those doctors that we were talking about, it became the end game instead of health, right? Instead of the objective of a physician, for example, being to restore health, it was to follow guidelines. And then research, instead of the goal of it being to how can we improve health for society, became how can I develop new guidelines? So the shift moved, right? Something got broke, okay? Um, If you tell me I have to treat this patient this way first, no matter what, then I get frustrated by the law, right? Because it's like, well, what if I know that this person's not going to benefit from this therapy, right? So now this law becomes a source of frustration to me, right? Now the law is annoying, right? And when it's annoying, that's when I'm going to want to manipulate it, right? Because it's like, this is so dumb, right? Why are we still doing this? Let's find a way not to do this. Do you know a guy? I know a guy, Cool right and then we can we can we can do our thing so if you for example this is this one hits home for canadians maybe more than americans um because this was shocking to me when i was living in california um in canada you have to see the gp before you see the specialist right so you can't go to your primary um in canada and say send me the specialist you have to go through the process Right. Whereas in, in California, like, oh, you can just call the specialist. Um, so for us here, it's like that right where, you know, you need to see the specialist and yet you're forced to go through this process. Right. The law became a stumbling block. The law became annoying, but the law is not bad. Right. But it's annoying. Right, This is that dilemma that St. Paul is trying to, to, to coax out. Um, and so the law, he's saying, that was supposed to bring me life, the law that was supposed to bring me health became my death and downfall. Okay, I hope that it's, it's making more sense now, right? That he's saying that it wasn't bad, but it was bad, right? It was intrinsically good, but it messed me up. Um, because of how it affected us. so. um, And now, he's going to move the location of the problem. Okay? People wanted to locate the problem in the law, of saying the problem is the law. And St. Paul is now going to say, no, sin dwells in the human being this is the only new thing he's offering in in this part of chapter seven okay is he saying no that the fault the problem the disease the issue the actual thing going on um it's happening in the human being and the warfare is in the human being the problem is not with the law so he's going to personalize this um and he's going to show you because a lot of you might have, after last few times, been like, I don't know how to, this makes sense for life, right? He's now going to zoom out of because he, like we said in the first ones, he's starting to talk, he talked about big picture, all of humanity, sin, capital S. And he's now also going to zoom in on a human level of saying, here's where this whole history that we've talked about from Adam till this day shows up in you and me. Right. And so he's gonna bring it up now, saying, How does that affect you now on the on the personal level? We talked about the big level, but now we'll zoom in on the personal. So he's gonna talk about this interior conflict now. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Absolutely not. That's his favorite expression in this epistle. It was sin working death in me through through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We'll pause. Okay. He's saying, I know that this sounds inconsistent and self-contradictory. Okay? I know that what I'm saying sounds like a contradiction. It's absurd to say that the good brings me death. Right? That sounds like a contradiction. And so he's saying that the, the... the outcome of this encounter between the human being and the law, the reason why you have a problem with the law is because sin is a real problem. Okay. It's because disease is an actual problem. It's your disease that makes you have a problem with health. That's what he's saying. Okay. Um, And so the purpose of the law is that it shows us the reality of sin killing us. To go back to the health analogy, it's saying that those guidelines, if you understand them, are telling you what makes people ill. That's what they're doing, right? And so... The, through the commandment, sin becomes sinful beyond measure because now it just becomes so real how the problem is, right? Now you can see with a clear eye of, oh man, now that there's a law, I didn't realize how sick I really am, right? Now that there are labs and, and these things that we do, now, now I know. That I'm really sick, okay um, and so the problem is not with the law, the problem is with human beings, and he's going to say specifically, we're carnal, we're weak, we're fleshly, and so we're we're more prone to the to the to the attack of sin that's happening inside it, of us, because the sin inside of us because of it. We're failing to achieve what God desires for us—holiness. We're we're not able to experience health the way that we should. Um, but He's also going to say. But sin's not the only thing going on in you. Right? If it was only sin, then yeah, sucks to be you. It's miserable. We're all we're all destined to die, right? But He's saying no. There's the mind. There's the noose, right? Um, and the mind recognizes God's law and does acknowledge what God desires of humans. Okay? And that mind is not himself empowered enough to resist sin. It's not enough. Right? That's why so many of you might struggle with what he struggles with, what he says of, I want to do the right thing, right? How the dilemma gets fixed, that's not this chapter, okay? Um, But for now, he's saying, we know that it has to be through the Lord. And he's going to get more explicit later. Um, Verse 14 through 25. We know that the law is spiritual, okay? The law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Right, so that's spiritual. That's nice. That's beautiful. But I'm I'm flesh and bones. Okay, you're talking about these cute little ghosty concepts. I'm I'm skin and bones. Okay, I don't understand my own actions. Saint Paul says about himself. I don't do what I want to do. I do the thing that I hate. Right, I'm doing the thing that I don't want to choose. I'm choosing the wrong thing. Now, if I do what I hate, if I'm doing the thing that I, I didn't want to do, I'm going to agree that the law is good. Okay? I'm going to agree that it's wrong. The law is telling you that it's wrong. Okay? So I'm going to agree with that. But then it's not me that's doing it anymore. Because my mind is consenting. Right? My mind is saying that's wrong, but my body's doing it. And he's saying that's because of sin. That sin is Because of all of that happened in history, all the stuff that St. Paul had referred to, he had talked about Adam, he talked about um, all this stuff, the law, and then how it changes to Christ. He's saying all that, here's where you're seeing it, is that you've got this war inside of you. That you know that it's wrong, but because sin is a real issue, it's not a philosophical issue, it's not what you read about in Genesis 3 about this fall, it's already happening, it's taken over, it's happening inside of you, and it's in, in fact, it's happening inside of me, the apostle, right? This is one of the reasons why St. John, in his first epistle, says anybody who says he doesn't sin is a liar, right? There's no secret Christian that's free of sin. Okay, every Christian has sin in him, even though every Christian shouldn't sin. Right. And so that's why St. Paul is saying, so this is a real dilemma. But this is how you know that it's true. The whole story, it's happening within you. You can see it. You want to find out how it's real in you? Look at yourself. Right. You don't need to read a nice book to read it. Look at the book of you. Do you not know that you're wrong sometimes and still say yes to the wrong? That's the root of sin taking root in you, warring with your mind over the good thing to do. So, I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Now, if I do what I don't want, it's not me who's doing it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law. Okay? So, I'm finding that here's the guidelines I'm living by. I find it to be um, a law That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, in deepest part of me. No, I like God, okay? I I like spirituality. In the deepest part of me, I really actually feel that. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members, (laughs) And he's saying, I'm a wreck, right? Wretched man that I am, right? Um, This just stinks, he says, okay? Who can fix this thing that is me, this body of death? And he goes, thanks be to God. Um, So then I of myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sins. He doesn't resolve the so what he's done now, let's backtrack. We're almost done. Like I said, this one's, this one's not as heavy. He's saying, okay, let's go back through all of Romans and, and, and just take bullet points. Okay. He says, one man fell, Adam, from it, corruption entered. Okay. So corruption entered the world. We inherited a corrupted world. The corruption led to more corruption okay um, think of corruption think of sin right now as poison okay is that when one man accepted the poison all right poison entered into all of nature into human beings and so we are now having this lens of a poisoned body where we live in non-health okay seeing a w- world that's corrupt we got got used to it. It was normal, right? That's what we're used to seeing. So that became how we live. And because of it, we forgot what health was. Okay, we forgot what life without poison could even look like. We had memories of it before. um, And that was at best, but now um, we've forgotten it. And so because we forgot what health was, that's why God gave the law. Okay, people weren't lining up, people were eating whatever they wanted, and so we made rules, right? Saying stand in line, do these things. Instead, because the sin, because the poison, okay, because it was taking root in me, right? That's what St. Paul's saying here. It's happening inside of me. This poison is in me and in the whole world. But because it's in me, I find myself not doing healthy things. Okay, because I, I'm used to sin, I'm not liking holiness. So that even if I want it, I can't do it. Right? Um, that's the predicament. That's the predicament. So the law for some people becomes despicable even though the law itself is not bad, it's good. Right. Because I'm hating how it makes me feel about myself or what it wants me to do or how it feels to go against it. Right. That's what he's, he's saying. And so that feeling you have inside of you in warfare, because so many people, so many people will come into confession, right. Um, So many people come to confession and say, Abuna, like, I don't know what to say. Like, I really didn't want to do it. I even talked myself out of it, right? Like I even had the conversation in my head, right? Of this is wrong. I shouldn't do it. Um, You're going to feel this after blah, blah, blah. Um, I did Jesus prayer. I read a Psalm. I did all of these things, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, I knowingly and willingly and totally voluntarily chose that. And St. Paul is saying, yeah, that's normal, right? He's saying that's not weird because that war inside of you is a sign of all that happened in history, right? He's saying that what's happening inside of you is because you became subject to the law of sin, the guidelines of sin, how sinful people live, because that's what you got used to. And your mind, right, which belongs to God, is actually alerting you to the fact that you're not following the law of righteousness. And so you go to war inside of yourself, right? That's why that warfare is real for you, why it's real for me, why it's real for Pope Tawadros, why it was real for Pope Krodlos right, is that we all have that war happening inside of us, right? And that's not weird. That's normal. In fact, if it wasn't there, it might mean there's something wrong with you. might. Um, so it's a sign not only of what's affected you, but of the whole world. And so you got to be careful that you can't just take it in a personal way. Okay, it's a consequence of all of humanity. And so the problem that our Lord is solving in the incarnation is a global one, not just a personal one. It has a personal consequence, but it was not a personal issue, right? This is why orthodoxy is adamant on the salvation collective. Right of not that this is just my own thing, me and Jesus, and we're gonna like be buddy buddy. No, this is a global problem. the The poison is in it is in all of us, right? And that we are in need of dying and resurrecting, and we're gonna see again his 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 solutions later on. And so, in chapters three and four, the apostle had been talking about how our Lord redeemed us personally and communally. Right, And he zoomed in more on the communally for those chapters, but here is where he brought it on the personal level. But it's also another issue. The law, Okay, as good as it is, in the presence of evil, it makes the law so unbearable. Why? Because the law of sin is also present too. Here's an analogy to help you with it, as a result of the fall, as a result of the fall, we have become um, we've become prisoners of war okay just let that let that sink in for a minute, okay, so. If you have become a prisoner of war, you're now in a whole system um, over which you don't have control over. Okay. Now imagine if you're a prisoner of war and now the your occupier has his own rules. This is how you have to live. But then you also have your original law, the holy law, okay, that you know. And so when you're a prisoner of war, you're sitting there being like, I don't know what to do. Like, my mind is saying follow the right law, but I'm a prisoner of war right now. And this is the law that they've put over me. What do I do? Now, I have my real law at war with my occupied law. I hope that answers one of the questions that I got on the, on the side about why is it one man's problem. So what we're saying, basically, is that Adam made decisions that caused us to become prisoners of war. We were born in captivity. Our captors have rules. And we're accustomed to that. But then we have these rules coming from our God saying, but that's not how you're supposed to be. And so consequently, I might even resent God's law because I hate my reality so much. In a way, actually what's going on right now with, with, and I hate the word COVID, I'm so over it, but with COVID um, is, in a sense, something like that. Right? Where we're all saying, how do we apply God's law when we're prisoners of war? What do we do? Right? And that leads to conflict, and that leads to anger, and that leads to this war within me. Right? Of what is the way to do God's law? Right? And so this poison took over, and we are prisoners of war. And so that is the dilemma. That's the personal level that St. Paul is talking about. Actually, that's, I think that's a great analogy because that makes you understand the whole global issue, right, of saying it's not about you being personally freed from of being a prisoner of war because your whole family is a prisoner of war, your whole country is a prisoner of war, right? And so there's a liberation needed for the whole entire people and that you shouldn't be big on I'm going to get out of it and it doesn't matter how my family is, Right on the one hand, and on the other hand, right, is how it affects me personally, right? That I'm struggling with this predicament of being a prisoner of war. And I don't know what to do sometimes. I might even make friends with people in my captivity that don't live how I live, right? And so as a result, I'm sitting there being like, I want to do what they're doing. But the guy with the beard is saying, I'm not allowed to do that. I hate the law. That guy with the beard is really annoying, right? And so that is the crux of it. Um, so again, this poison has been sprinkled out. The poison has affected health. And we're trying to be healthy while fighting the poison. That's another analogy to see it, right? And so the poison is taking away my health. And so the law is pointing at me how to get Healthy, right? And so I'm trying to find out how to be healthy while being sick. So I have the flu, I have the virus, and someone's telling me, I promise you, you're not supposed to have a stuffy nose. I promise you, you're not supposed to have a cough. And you're like, I don't know, like, I don't know what you're on, man, but like, I only know coughing, right? And then we start making coughing cool, right? Um, So the law helps keep one from dying, is what St. Paul said. But, but, the law didn't get rid of the poison. The law didn't liberate you from your captors. That's why the law wasn't enough, is what St. Paul is saying. That's why no matter how good the law was, it didn't save you, right? That's why in Hebrews, it'll say no amount, no Holocaust of lambs was sufficient because it wasn't solving the issue. That's that's what St. Paul is saying to all this point, right? And so... The poison affected everything. And on a personal level, just add one last point before I open up to question, is that you got so used to your captivity. You got so used to illness that you even started to not find holy things sweet. And the analogy that I was, the only analogy I could think of to kind of show what that means in, in a practical way, I remember how I didn't find fruit sweet. I didn't like fruit because I was so used to eating processed sugar, right? And so because I'm used to chocolate, et cetera, et cetera, like berries seem so garbage to me, right? I'm like, who wants wants a a fruit if it's not chocolate covered? (laughs) Right, give me the real sugar so that I can enjoy this so-called healthy food, right? And so, but when you stop having processed sugar, suddenly you're like, oh, this is, this is tasty, right? Like, like you, you rediscover that that's what real sweetness tastes like, not the artificial kind. So that's what St. Paul is saying in this chapter. And he's not saying because of this that human beings are exonerated, right? Because what he did in Romans 1 through 3 is say human beings are the reason for this problem, Right? This problem didn't invent itself. Human beings caused this problem. But as a result of the problem that they caused, they're now um, powerless. Right? They're now covenantally dysfunctional. Right? They've broken the, the law and now there's no covenant. Now they don't know how to live. Right? They don't know how to choose life or death. Right? They're like, I'm a prisoner of war. I don't know how to do this. I don't know who that. I can't make anybody happy. Right? They don't know what to do. And and so the only solution to this crisis is the gift that we receive through Christ, which is chapter 8, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's going to be the solution, right? Is that man couldn't do it. Man could not do it, right? And so that's why Christ came in, right? He entered into our encampment. He tabernacled with us, only it was prisoner of war one he goes to our captor conquers him right because a western view of salvation has this view of like okay he paid the debt he was like okay what do these people cost i got it i got it i'll pay you right no christ is saying i'm not here to do the time for you (laughs) i don't want you to be a prisoner of war i'm not here to be like oh okay like somebody's got to do this he's saying no i'm gonna go in i'm gonna break the chains I'm going to break you free. I'm going to tie your captor. And if you want, you never have to bow down to him ever again. That's up to you. That's the gospel. That is the power in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, as a gift of the Father, right? This is Trinitarian thought. That's why St. Paul wraps it up Trinitarian by coming back to the Holy Spirit in chapter 8. So I hope, I hope that that clarifies all of what he's been saying so far, because this is this is one of the most again most difficult but profound theological works of of the apostle. Um glory be to God forever. Amen. Any um questions, comments, criticisms, objections? Um, you name it. Um, Abuna Joe, can you um read them out because I don't know in what order things came in. And then I feel like I might end up being unfair in the
1: order I answer because it's just by whatever I see. So I think people, uh, have been sending directly to you. There's no, I don't think there was a chat that was, uh, available for everyone to post. So okay. I don't see the questions to you. Okay. My badness. Okay. I'll go to the top. Forgive me. Your badness. Um,
0: uh, Sorry, because some of these are 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 shout-outs. Um Hi Noah. Um to Frederick Mark. Okay, let me find it. The knowledge of sin ruined my innocence. Yes. Um, I see you. Um, Yes, the knowledge of sin in in a way ruined my innocence or gave me an option. Um, Jesse has no idea what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, Jesse. <laughs> that was about half an hour ago. I hope you're lost now um, if you want to send me another one. Um, Anthony, I said, does not sin. I know. Okay. What? uh,
1: uh but if you, I have one that was sent to me, so I can. In the meantime, if you want me to just send you that yeah. one, yeah, or okay. read it. Yeah, I'll read it. Sure. So the question is this: um, Why does Adam and Eve? Why do? Why does Adam and Eve's choice define the choice of humanity? Sure, we can take the humble route and say, Well, would we have chosen any differently? Probably not. But for the sake of arguing, what if St. Mary was the first human? Maybe there's a chance she would have chosen to obey. Why is the fall of humanity based on literally one human? Like if Jesus had to come down and fulfill what Adam couldn't do and save us all. Okay, cool. Makes sense. You don't send a puppy to clean its own mess. You do it yourself. But it's like God made us in the image. Surely one human on earth might have chosen him over the serpent. Hmm. Definitely you need to read on the incarnation.
0: Because um, no matter what I say, isn't going to answer as well as that. But St. Paul has actually answered you a little bit already in this, in this epistle. Because St. Paul says, even though you've inherited the consequence of what Paul did, he goes, humanity habitually and constantly always does already what Adam and Eve did. So it's not like, that's why he's saying, he's like, you're guilty, oh man, because you do it too. Right. Like, as a matter of fact, some people look at his example of covetousness in this chapter as saying everyone's covetous. That that was the first sin on some level was covetousness. Right. So, but the issue is not like, I think, I think the way you might be framing this question suggests that you're viewing this as some way as though we have a culpability issue. Right. Like, it's almost like you're approaching it as like, some guy messed up and now we're all to blame for it. How is that even fair? It was one guy, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not, that's not how God's viewing it, right? By mere virtue of there being not only yourself in existence, any decision you make affects all of humanity, whether the first one was, Saint Mary or Adam, right? And so had we, for example, persisted in not sinning, no problem. Things would have been great until someone sinned right because we're not talking about a transmission of sin genetically we're saying like to use the prisoner of war analogy again and i think your question came before that is saying that the issue here is not that god is mad that adam did something dumb it's that adam made us prisoners of war and so god's not saying i'm so mad 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 right? God is saying, I'm going to give you, I'm going to do a rescue mission, but in the meantime, right, so that you don't die, like, so that you can be as healthy as you can, given your circumstances, here's the law. But I'm the only fixer. That's actually why St. Paul says, he saved us, he said in this epistle, he saved us while we were yet sinners. Saying that you couldn't have made it right he came to you in your worst state happily he's not against you he's for you right in the words of of, of saint Dioscorus, i love it it's just a quick one liner he's with us like us for us right he was with us like us and for us it's 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 profound um so it's not it's not an issue um <clears throat> of just that There's a lot of other answers to that that go with it. I'm just not getting into all of them, right? For example, God didn't want his creation to just die because he could have said, okay, man, deal with it. Like, in your words, clean up your mess. But God's saying, but they can't. They can't clean up their mess. Am I going to just leave them? Right? If God didn't, it would speak a lot about his character if he didn't. Because then it would be right of us as parents (laughs) it would be right of us as humans that once our kid messes up to say right let him deal with it let him clean his own mess but we don't thank god for god um
1: that that he's not that he's not like that um i have more questions people are sending them to me now so okay you're okay with that i've got one here okay um, let me do that one and then and
0: go there just because I found it and I feel badly. I'm not really sure if this question makes sense, but sometimes the law is ambiguous and we don't really understand the why of the rule. It's sometimes hard to follow and obey the law if we don't necessarily know why the law exists or how it will benefit us. I guess this comes from natural human instinct to question things and be curious about how to get over this. We know we are supposed to follow, but must understand why Yeah, no, this is on point, right? But what St. Paul is saying in this epistle is we don't have that law anymore. And now, as we're going to see, we're going to follow the law of the spirit because we, like St. Paul has been saying, the guidelines showed us health. Let's be faithful to health. Okay. And as St. Paul says elsewhere, I can do whatever I want. All things are lawful. But not all things are good for me. And then how do I define good? That's image and likeness of, of, of God and now that becomes the framework and then our assessment of, of what we would put as a law or not a law will come from that right um, then we can start to say is this thing good or bad for me for example right because there is objective health okay I have a disease okay factually so our um, Sugars, intrinsically unhealthy. They're not. Okay? Is wheat intrinsically bad? It's not. I, Antony, I can't eat those. I can't. Because they make me, on the subjective, objective level, they make me sick. Right? So consequently, I can't. But there's not a law for all of saying thou shalt not eat wheat. Right? And so health still governs. But now, how I get to the rule, how I get to the answer, how do I get to that, now is found through the lens of the gospel, not the lens of Christ as the image, capital I. Right? That now I can find out where I fall short by seeing him. I hope that helps a little bit um, for that question. But go ahead, Abuna.
1: Okay, we have, I've got a bunch that have come in. The question is, but why would God create us if all we are meant to do is fight and be at war? It is so exhausting and I'm so weak. What do you think?
0: And St. Paul is saying, I hear you. Um, But I almost want to wait for answering that next week because um, it's, it's that we don't actually find our strength in ourselves, right? It's not going to come from you, you right? That's, that's what's beautiful about this whole thing, is that the incarnation gifted us the indwelling once again of God inside of us, right? And because of it, I can be healed from the poison. Whenever I get poisoned, I can regularly be healed because of God right so we'll get more into it next week but your dilemma is is exactly what st paul's trying to express actually in this chapter
1: okay next question uh question is what is the understanding that christ died to sin um maybe to elaborate on last week's point
0: so now in this context he's saying that capital s sin is what christ died to okay and so we said that was death corruption the law etc so christ submitted himself to that and died to that he took all of that and died right so that's the whole prisoner of war thing of saying our capital s sin is the state of being a prisoner of war and christ took himself and died to that right he his death is what ended that, OK? As a horrible analogy, it was that his death exploded the Petri dish and got rid of the bacteria.
1: OK, sorry. We've got a few here. We've got a lot. we um, have got a few, too. Do you want to okay. take turns? Sorry? Let's take turns. Let's take turns. Yeah, just in
0: case, in case, um, in That's case right. I miss. No, I got it. Word life, ergonomics. Um, hi. When we make hi. When we make decisions, I have heard many people say we make sure that your heart, mind, and spirit align. What is your take on this? Um, you describe that there's an inherently misalignment between our hearts and our minds because we are at war. Yeah, I'm anti that. Um, I'm anti that because it's very rare that our spirits are perfectly in line with the will of God. It would be nice if they were. I wish mine was. Mine's not. Um, And clearly St. Paul's wasn't either. Right? And so if we assume ourselves to always know, then we're not actually subjecting ourselves to, to truth. We're claiming to be absolute truth. Right? And so all of our thoughts and actions, it's not about alignment of our, our spirits, bodies, and souls, it's about alignment of our whole self with absolute truth, with Christ himself. Um, it's funny, everyone wore, wears those, used to wear those, what would Jesus do bracelets, but I don't know how many people actually ask the question of what he actually would do.
1: Your turn, Nova. sorry. Um can you please clarify why God felt the law was important to give us again and if the law is good why we're, why are we not to follow it after Christ's resurrection Right
0: So um the law was there so that we would understand what went wrong because like we said we got used to our condition of Ill- of, of illness right so it's like let's horrible example where like somehow it became culturally acceptable to sneeze all over each other. And so then the law came in and said, cover your mouth when you sneeze, please. Right. And so the law was showing us what it was supposed to be because we forgot consequently, this is why some people struggle with, so what laws do we, and not do we follow and not follow? And it's like, aha, if you understood what the point of the law was, you won't struggle with that question because anything that was intrinsically true, we follow. Right? And so for example, like to use the example that I just gave about my own thing with the food, right? If the law said don't eat wheat because eating wheat was bad, then it would always be wrong to eat wheat because wheat is bad. But if it was don't eat wheat because it might make you sick because in this area there's bacteria, The wheat wasn't bad, and I don't have to follow that law when there's no bacteria. That's why St. Paul is saying, where there's no sin, you're free. That's why he's saying you were captive to the law. You were under the whim of the conditions that surround disease. And you had to function based on disease. And he's saying, but in the spirit, you don't need to do that anymore. Right. He's saying that if you reject sin, now you can work through liberty, freedom in Christ. Uh, Sorry. Um, Why must we continue to fight then if we have been freed? Do we have hope that we can overcome certain temptations from our old self? What can we do about them? Sorry, they're not too many questions. They're great questions. Um, no, but this is exactly what 's going on. This is what spiritual life is that 's why i 'm glad these are the questions because once you realize the importance of your will, you realize that, like Adam, you can still you can still sell yourself into slavery and in fact, you do i do right that you can still choose to to do the wrong you can still go to the enemy and say i'm yours right and so the warfare is that i need to realize that i have a say in this right that i i have a will and that i've got it to use it as, as best as i can
1: okay abba i've got um can i give you a short one and then a quick one yeah okay so a short one is uh, Hi, Father, there's an oral tradition that says St. Mary did not commit sin in her life. Is this accurate? That's the short one.
0: I, have no, I honestly have no idea. I really don't have any idea. I think that the, what we can say is that she is the closest to sinless um, as can possibly ever be attained by humanity is, is, is all I can say. She was still born as a prisoner of war like the rest of us. Um, but um, as spotless as spotless can be to the extent that the father looked from heaven and found no one like her right that one of the conditions of his own incarnation was finding a woman that that was like her right so whatever that means means that this lady is She's some lady, right? Like I, I, I love Saint Mary. I don't compare when I talk about Saint Anthony being the best saint in the world because he is, Saint Mary's not in that category of comparison. Right? Saint Mary is like in her own thing, and then among the saints is Saint Anthony without a doubt.
1: <laughs> okay, this is the long one. Uh I still don't quite understand verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, the thing I will not to do but sin that dwells in me. To me, that almost sounds like responsibility is being placed somewhere else so that I'm not the one who's sinning, but sin is making me do X, Y, Z. But I'm sure that's not the right understanding. Can you explain again?
0: So he's, he's articulating the issue. He's saying, I feel like I'm a slave, right? I feel like it's not me who's really doing it anymore. Right. But he's going to come back and say, but no, it is. And that's why earlier he said, but it, it, it is you. It doesn't feel like it because you're at war. Right. You're a prisoner of war. But at the same time, he's saying, but when you're a prisoner, it feels hopeless. And so then he's going to say, so how do we get over that? So he's not answering that question yet, I guess, is what I'm is what I'm saying. He's 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 articulating that very issue, saying it
1: feels like I'm stuck. Do you have more from your side, Ella? Uh
0: Can you clarify again? The difference? Yeah, can you clarify the difference between the Orthodox view and Protestant view on the gospel? Um, I won't go into all of it because I'm not too big on like the whole like us versus them thing. But when it comes to this issue, and the reason I bring it up is because it's often the point of debate when we when when Protestants and, 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 and Catholics or Orthodox dialogue, um, is that for them, their underst- understanding of justification is that, I am somehow made right with God by my declaration of faith. That's how they view this chapter, right? So for example, if you go to a Protestant service or you watch one, or like the passion play we went to once as a church, where they'll be like, okay, if you want to be saved, you just need to say these simple words, Lord Jesus Christ, I accept you into my life. Um, I accept you as my personal savior, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there's this declaration of faith that somehow that's how you're made right with God, and that once you've made that declaration, you're now good, right? You're saved. right? That's why for some of them, as long as you've made that declaration, it doesn't matter what you do after. You're saved. Right? And, and what St. Paul is saying is absolutely not that, like it seems to me, anyway. He's saying it's faithfulness, and in fact, it was God's faithfulness, not yours, because actually you're the cause of the predicament And he's saying, as a matter of fact, you can still become a slave. You can still be a prisoner, but thanks be to God who is justifier, who is faithful. Right? That's actually what he says at the very end of the chapter. That should actually answer the question from before this that I did. He says, thanks be to God. God fixes. Right? And so we're saying that we were prisoners of war and that we need to all be liberated and... On some level, not to to, um, make a caricature of it, because I don't want to do that, because um, there is some very good theology from their end, to be very honest. Um, But that on some level, what they're saying is, it's just a personal choice of whether you're free or not. And it's just this concept of being a prisoner or not. On some level, that's what's being said. And St. Paul said, no, it's not a concept, it's real.
1: Um, Okay, spiritually it's a war with sin and we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen us to overcome it. But practically, what should we be doing? Any advice? Sorry, can you read that again? Spiritually, it's a war with sin and we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen us to overcome. But practically, what should we be doing? Any advice? Hold for next week.
0: Sorry, just because it's all related to the indwelling of God. Because I think we don't, we take for granted the indwelling of God, right? It's a beauty and a problem that we're baptized as infants, most of us, right? I'm 100% pro-infant baptism. Like, it, it, need, like it, it needs to be infant baptism. However, we take for granted to to flip the analogy upside down, okay, is that St. Paul is saying you're born a prisoner of war and you're liberated. On some level, because we're baptized as infants, we have lived our whole lives in the king's palace and taken it for granted. We have no idea how good it is to live with the king, right? And so because of it, we look with envy at those was not in the palace where Jasmine and Aladdin um, and, and even the, especially the modern Aladdin with the whole female rights and, and, and autonomy thing that I'm not sure happened in Arabia but that's okay um, but it was but we're, we're that right I think like, oh man I wish I could be that street rat um, and then and the street rats being like what's wrong with you um, but that's that's kind of where where we're at with it and so that's why Let's see what St. Paul says about this gift that we have, because the answer lies in our access and our communication and our interaction with the Godhead. Okay That becomes the answer. Um, and, and that's why I don't want to go there.. Um, This might be a dumb question. It's not. I read it already. Was God's plan all along for him to save us via Jesus' sacrifice? Yes. And that's not a dumb question. It's a very good question. Because as you follow up with the rest of your question of, then when did God step in? That's why the law was never meant to be the solution, right? That's why why the fathers say, instead of sitting there looking at the tree saying, why did God do that knowing man was going to fall? It's, you should be asking, how could God doing, do that knowing he was going to die on it? Right? He's going to be nailed to that wood. So it was always the plan. Um, but the law was there as our, as our helper, as St. Paul calls it. It was there as our helper until um, we were liberated and restored back to health in the fullness of time. It's a great question, actually.
1: That's the last one. I have a winner. Okay, I've got just a couple more. What is the difference of following the law and following the law through the Holy Spirit? We're going to get to it, but I
0: I would say it's like the difference between the doctor who gets it and has the art of medicine and treats every patient as a patient and the doctor who can only live by the guidelines. That would be the difference to me.
1: Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on wearing a cross to show your faith? I'm all for that.
0: I'm sorry, <laughs> that's my opinion. I had a big honking one when I was a pharmacist, but um, and I didn't really care about about it because I wasn't doing it to club people with it. I was. It's, it's God.
1: Okay, next question. How are we to understand the laws we continue to live by? What defines what is good for us and what is sin in the context of today's discussion? Sin is
0: anything that goes contrary to the image and likeness of God because the image and likeness of God is your identity. So every sin that you do is a transgression against both yourself and God. I think as you get more into relationship with God, you'll see it as only a transgression against God. Because just to give a, a quick analogy, because I, like that question is the stuff of full-out theology. Um, it is what the, inc- the incarnation is about. Um, It is what Romans is about. It's what the whole Bible is about. It's what all of spiritual life is about. And it's what Romans has been about. God made you. Okay? And God made you as a thing. Okay? A thing has properties. A thing that's designed is supposed to be the thing that it is designed to be. Now, imagine if the thing that you're designed to be is God himself, right? That's that's what happened. That's not a theory. That's not an imagined story. That is what happened. That is who you and I, all of us are. We are all in the image and likeness of God. So we are not God by nature, right? But he gave us his whole person, his attributes by grace, right? So consequently, imagine if I am this creative thing that God has made, that a king has said, I am making you royalty. And there's an objective definition, not a random one in your head, but there's an objective definition to royalty. And that I start using the royalty completely wrong. Right? That's what sin is. It's that I'm using who I am wrongly, that's sin, okay? And that's why it's an insult to God because it's saying, God, yeah, you gave me this crazy expensive, like beautiful leather coat. And a coat is designed to be worn for protection against the elements. And let's say even to show off and look rich because leather is nice okay but then i take that jacket and i willfully and intentionally use it as my plate my dinner plate right then i'm saying i don't care about your gift right it's saying that i i'm not going to be that that's that's sin sin is to go against your design your identity because they're the same thing they're one and the same thing you and I, all of us, every human being baptized or not is in the image and likeness of God.
1: Okay, I think this is our last one. Cool, cool. How can the church say that no one can live a day without sin? Aren't we striving for holiness? Isn't holiness without sin? Yeah, we're striving for it. If you manage to get a day without sin, hats
0: off to you. And I'm not being sarcastic. I've never done it. Um, Like it's, it's not a saying, take pride in, in that we like no one's pure from blemish for a single moment. It's more of a, of a confession of our inability in praise of how he deals with us in spite of that inability that he doesn't get sick of how much we fall short. It's, it's, it's really more to talk about how good he is
1: than to revel in
0: how bad we are.
1: Sorry, I made a mistake. There's one more. Okay. Uh, if our knowledge of the law might provide breeding ground for sin, then should one theoretically grow in their knowledge of the law? Yeah.
0: You don't have to, but I would say, yeah. In the sense that what St. Paul is saying, I really like, I, 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 I think I get it and I feel it, right? Like I'm using the guideline thing because it related to me when I was a pharmacist because I could see it functionally, right? That the guidelines were good, right? Like the guidelines were saying, okay, it's not just a free for all, right? Like there are concepts, there are principles, there are things that we need to understand. And so learning those is really helpful for me to discover more about health right like so i can be like oh okay like it's good for me to read these studies that were done on the kidneys that i know how kidneys run right it's good for me to read about livers that i know how the liver functions so that when it goes wrong i understand it right so yeah, the law. That's why. That's why Saint Paul saying the law is not bad, guys. It's talking about something good, right? The law was really, really good. It just really sucked. <laughs> and so it's 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 because now it was like, man, but then this is wrong and this is wrong. So I found out all the stuff that was wrong, right? And at the same time, it was like, oh man, but it's also so restrictive when you start giving the guidelines. That's why I think it's so important for us if we actually live spiritually, spiritual lives, I question how well we do that myself included, but. As we're young in Christ. We do need to live by the law. Right. A little child needs rules. Right. You can't sit with your, your 5 year old, Right. And be like, um, just let them make their own choices. They're going to, They're going to understand later. Right. It's okay. You don't, you can't do that. Right. You can't tell a five-year-old, you can't sit there and be like, okay, um, um, you can go um, do whatever you want because I want you to be free in the law. And I don't need to understand it. No, they need it because they're not going to understand. Right. You might even like my parents regulated how we spent our money. Right, so when I had an allowance, I wasn't just allowed to spend my allowance, Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I really, really found that annoying. Right, and so I'd go to buy a cassette tape that ages me apparently today, Um, and then I go ask permission from my dad, right? I'm like, Dad, can I use my money, quote unquote, thinking it's mine, to go buy a tape? And he's like, Why do you want another tape? I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I would like another tape. I like music but didn't you just get a tape two months ago? Yes. How many tapes till there's enough? And I'm like, dude, (laughs) like what is wrong with you? Right. I still think he was a little excessive, but it was a law that later became, what do I need? Right. It it taught me a concept that I didn't understand at the concept at the time. Right. How much is too much? When do I fulfill A desire versus a need. Why do I want it? How do I use it? Right. So, in other words, the law. This is exactly what St. Paul is saying. Kind of made me have a context to understand the concepts. Right. So that I could be like, why is this a law? Like what the other person was asking. Right. Of being like, oh. Because it's not good to spend money like this. Got it. Right? Um, so it's, it's, it's helpful. Right? The law is helpful. Right? And that from it, we can arrive at concepts that lead us to health. The real answer to what is perfect health is to just look at Christ. Okay? Like that, that's it right there. That's it manifest in the flesh. But all of those things prefigured him too. Is that it? No, there was one more. Sorry. And it's an important one. Um, How do we have a healthy understanding of the law without falling and feeding into legalism? Um, That's a good question. Um, And I think that's, this is the war that we see in the church today. Right? Those who are so-called spiritual and those who are so-called legalists. And we like to pit them up against each other all the time, right? And so, um, you've got the person who's like, I'm simple, right? I have nothing to do with those laws. I'm sure they mean really well, but like those rules about this and this and this, ah." they're not for me, right? With this fake humility thing where really you're saying those legalists, they're so dumb. I'm spiritual. Right. And then at the same time, the legalists, um, are looking at the other side. Right. And they're like those infidels, right. Don't they know that's unclean? Don't they know this and this and this and this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the answer in my view is to a, Never take it upon yourself ever to function as prosecutor or judge. It's not your job. It's not my job. God is very able to do his own job very well. He's perfect. Our job is to always ask, in whatever situation in which I find myself, how do I live the gospel? How do I conform my response to my situation, to the image and likeness of Christ, of God, right? And that will inevitably require that I know the gospel. Because if I don't, then I am just being random. But that, that would be my, my response to that. That way, I don't, I don't need to worry about it. If the church has a canon, I follow it. It's my duty. But I don't have to prosecute the ones who are or aren't. It's not my business, right? I don't need to go out of my way to find out who is and who isn't and why and why not and what were they thinking, etc. cetera. Um, each one will answer um, for, for him or her, herself. I, I find that since doing that, because I didn't used to do that, I get a lot better sleep personally. All right. Abuna, can you pray for us before no, we No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also I hate you. Um, <laughs> that was out loud, huh? Um also next Monday there won't be um there won't be a Bible study because next week is Monday of the Holy Pascha. Um uh, I know every diocese has things differently. I know in my home, Diocese LA, um, four churches will be streaming for those who want to follow with them. And Amba Sarabin was encouraging all families to do pusk in their homes together, not even to stream if they don't want to, but to, to come together and do it. And that for those who need it or prefer it, that there will be four locations that it's streamed from. In the Diocese of Ottawa and the East, um, there will be um, sets of churches as well. Um, I'm praying. I got permission from my bishop today, from Ambassador to pray. I'll be praying with Abuna Joseph, God willing, next week at SNSM. Um, so I think those will be live streamed. So there won't be Bible study because there will be Pascha. Um, I'll talk to Abuna Joseph the week after because I usually don't do anything the week after Holy Week. We're off that week. Yes! Um, sorry, I regretfully inform you that we will not be doing bible study the monday after <laughs> um so we will reconvene uh for romans 8 in in about two two weeks i'm gonna go ahead i i started because you weren't here so come on man yeah I, you know i can turn off my camera too right <laughs> thank you
1: That wasn't nice. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Lord, make us really to pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Um, Father Anthony Paul, can you please say the blessing? <laughs> The
0: love of God, the Father, the grace of God, and the Son, the communion, good host with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Um, see any of you on, uh, on Thursday night if you're interested. Um, good night, everyone. Pray for me.